a foundation is laid one time, and after that, the building is built up on top of it. Okay, these are the kind of the faith delivered once for all time to the saints in the book of Jude. We don't have any more coming to us, all right? We don't have sight, we have faith. And so we continue to pray for healing. It does happen. I've heard of the miraculous many times, but it is in a way that God will will uh, be glorified through our faith in it. But people that don't want to believe, that's their problem, okay? So um, we have um, the good end. God has a good end to it, which he's directing. He is purposing that end in and through creation and it is being done in a way that everything which occurs is happening toward that good end. Everything that happens is happening towards that good end. We can say, well, what about the Holocaust? What about all these terrible things? What about that meteor that destroyed that city? All of those things are working towards God's good end. We have to believe that's true, or it means that God isn't sovereign and that things are happening apart from his will. And that is not possible, okay? Every single thing that happens is happening with purpose and with intent. That doesn't mean, as Calvinists say, that we don't have free will, that God is sovereign over our free will. I don't believe that. God has given us free will by his sovereignty, knowing the choice that we would make. That does not make God less sovereign. Calvinists will say, well, you're denying the sovereignty of God with that. It does not deny the sovereignty of God. It exalts the sovereignty of God, that he knows what we are going to choose, but he has given us the free will to make that choice. Okay, I do not believe that God regenerates anybody in order to believe. He didn't do it with Paul, did he? No. He didn't do it with Paul. He went to Paul and he said, I'm revealing myself to him, and he gave Paul the choice. He did not have to come to Christ, and that's said explicitly in the book of Acts when we went through that. He was not disobedient to the call, he said. He could have been. That's implied in saying what he said. So if you believe that we are regenerated in order to believe, you're believing something incorrect from Scripture. The Bible gives us choice. Isn't okay. this a uh, Calvinist favorite? This is a Calvinist favorite, absolutely, because they take these things out of context. So, absolutely right. Um, anyway, he um, he's purposing towards the good end, and those who are included in that good end can be assured that whatever occurs, no matter how seemingly bad, disastrous, or out of control, it's actually known to God and being used in the fulfillment of his plan. All things, good or bad, work together for good. That good end which shall result. And this is a verse of comfort in a world of woe. Like I said, people here with cancer today. We've got people that are having troubles and physical trials all over. We've got people that email me and say, you know, my son's in the hospital. I need help financially. And can, you know, your church help? And I, I get these things all the time. And this is a world of woe. But these things are working towards a good end for those who have faith in God's promises. Okay, life application, and we'll get into 929. Memorizing verses such as Romans 8:28 can be a great help in times of trouble. Okay, as long as they aren't misused or partially quoted, as I said, people taking things out of context, thus just destroying the true intent. They are a valuable tool for our continued walk with God. Through them, we're in God's mind. If they weren't in God's mind and then we were uh, selected, that means that God didn't know everything and it's not the God of the Bible. He knows everything and he always has known everything. Today's, this verse here, along with the logical progression that Paul will make in the coming verses, shows us that this is so. How did this come about? There are a vast, vast array of views on this and many sub-views as well, okay? 
I'm going to take you through four main categories. If you watch the Genesis sermons, you've seen this before. If you attended online before we started recording these, you may have seen this before. If you were in this class for the Acts series, you certainly have seen this before. But I'm going to just take you through four main categories based on a rational comparison to demonstrate which major approach is correct and why it's correct. And I'm, that's coming from my view. Other people will completely disagree with me on this. This is my view that this is correct, okay? These four views to be looked at are, let me write them down for you, and I hope we get done with this class um, in time, but let this me erase the ducks. This is the ducks. Oh, yeah. This is um. the ducks. So we, we, we've got a class about ducks today. We've got, um, let's see here, we've got, let me make sure I spell these right. We've got supra, supra, lapse, in Arianism. I might have spelled that wrong. Arianism. Superlapsinarianism. Okay, that's the first one. All right. And then the next one would be infra. Infra. Lapsinarianism. It's a big word, but it'll all go away in a second. C and ism. Okay. And then we have sub, I think, after that. I just want to make sure I yeah, get these right. right. Sublapsinarianism. Laps. In Arianism. I know I'm spelling these wrong, but anyway, sublapsinarianism, and then we've got Wesleyanism. Okay, these are just four major views to help you kind of unpackage what's going on here. Wesleyanism. 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 Okay, so very easy once you see what it's doing. Supra is above, right? Mm -hmm. Laps is the fall of man, and then ism is the doctrine of. So the doctrine of the uh, before the fall of man. All right, then you've got infra lapsinarianism, and then you've got sub lapsinarianism, and then you've got Wesleyanism. John Wesley, you know, he built upon Pelagius and and uh, or Arianus, a, a uh, what's his name, uh, Arminius. I'm sorry. And uh, so anyway, we've got these different views that come up. All right, uh, let me read this to you. We've got these four views, and although these concepts are very complicated, I'm going to take you through a very simple example of ducks in a river. <laughs> It'll be, uh, it'll help you see what's going on. It'll help you see why I'm saying what I'm saying. But in the end, you could do it without the ducks. The ducks just makes it a little bit easier for you to uh, see what's going on. So we've got the four views. All right, we're going to start with supralapsinarianism. This is a real problem. People that are supralapsinarians are just insane. Okay, the wrong ones I'm going to ex uh, explain first, okay? Who believes in these and why they believe in them? The first is supralapsinarianism. As I said, supra means above, okay? It says that election or predestination, God predestined somebody to do something, okay, is logically prior to the decree to permit the fall of man. Now, God doesn't think sequentially. I want to make this understood. I weeks ago, but you need to remember this. God does not think sequentially. These are sequential in order. Everything that God does happens in a sequence. Why? Because we're in time. He created us, and we are in time. And so everything that we see being revealed, and I say this in the Leviticus sermons, all represents Christ in this way, and then this goat represents Christ in this way. And the goat goes out, and he doesn't come back. But a man comes back. That man is now representing Christ, coming back from the dead. Okay, all of these different things are going on. All the way through, it's happening in a sequence of time, but it's all one act. God is atoning for our sins all at once through the cross of Jesus Christ, okay? So when I see these things, 
are decreed in this order. It doesn't mean that it actually is in God's mind in that order, but this is how it is expressed in time for us, okay? So it says that election or predestination, God is predestined some, predestinating somebody logically prior to the decree to permit the fall of man. Here is uh, uh, the stream of time, and at some point, God is going to say, I am going to allow man to fall. This is the fall of man. His decree to elect people is prior to that decree to, he's, in other words, I am going to save these people prior to the decree of allowing man to fall. Okay? Don't you understand? Um, uh, in other words, even before sin entered the picture, election was made for all people. Sin hadn't been introduced into the world, and God has already chosen this person is going to be saved this person is going to be condemned, okay? That is what that's saying, okay? This view involves a group known as hyper-Calvinists. Everybody knows I bring up Calvin all the time. John Calvin says certain things about predestination and about election, okay? These people are hyper-Calvinists, okay? Which is, by the way, a heresy, but um, it's, uh, a, a, it's a view known as double predestination. Sublapsinarianism means double predestination, God chooses some for salvation. God chooses some for damnation. for damnation. That's right. God has made the decision before anything was ever created. Can anybody think of a verse right now where this is refuted? The, the world. He loved the world. Well, he loved the world, but that's not really a verse because I can use that. I can think of one from Peter. Okay. <laughs> God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, right? So why would he predestine somebody to be damned? But, okay, that, that blows it out of the water right there, but we're going to go through it anyway just to get um, an idea of what they're saying. Okay, this is hyper-Calvinist. It's double predestination. It is held by only a very small, radical, and biblically unsound group of people. That's all there is to it. These are, these are really unsound people. This view inevitably leads to judgmental egoists, who feel that God loves them and he hates everybody else, okay? That's the inevitable outcome of it. Whether they express that or not, that is what it leads to. I am saved, you're going to hell, I'm on God's good side and you're on his bad side and there can be no fellowship between us, okay? Impossible, okay? Because God predestined humanity before he permitted the fall of man, he therefore elected some for salvation, okay? These guys here, will be saved, and then these guys here will be condemned, the others for condemnation. He created them, saved or condemned. He created them, condemned. Imagine the perverseness of that idea. God created somebody to destroy them. That's what that's saying, okay? Anyway, that is their state, and they have no choice in the matter. They can never be saved. They were chosen for condemnation before God ever created anything. This means that God provides and applies salvation only to the elect, and it is what is known as limited atonement. Now, that's one of the tulip of Calvinism. You've got the, uh, go look it up. I don't have it written down right now, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but you've got total depravity, unconditional surrender. I'm kidding. Anyway, I don't remember. Uh, limited atonement. That's this one here. And then you got perseverance of the saints, and the eye is, um, I'm not remembering because I just wasn't thinking of it today. But anyway, limited atonement means that Christ died for a certain number of people on the cross of Calvary and nobody else. Okay. Now, you could say unlimited atonement, 
Well, then that's kind of a heresy, too, because everybody's saved and everybody's going to heaven. Right. But we've talked about it. Christ died for everybody on the planet, potentially. Right. He didn't die for them, actually, because some people don't come to Christ. But that's getting it. We're speaking of the people of the world. Okay, so we're going to use a ducks in a row. You can kind of get an idea of how this works. And this will help you think it through. All right, I'm going totally by my notes because I didn't really think of this when I was coming here that we'd be this far along. And so I've got to go by my notes instead of doing it out of my head. I just don't want to miss something. Oops, I got to stop touching that because that makes the camera, every time I touch that, it makes the camera move. And I don't want to do that. Anyway, um, uh, okay, so we got the ducks in a river. God creates a pond. All right, we'll put it, I'll put it over here. We got a pond and we got all these ducks in here. I, I'm not going to make them look like ducks because it'll take too long, but these are all ducks in the pond, all right? And they're enjoying themselves, all right? They're in the pond, but after the ducks enter the pond, there's a cataclysm, right? This is a very happy place. The ducks are in the pond and they're happy. That's where ducks belong, right? Well, that's man in the Garden of Eden. But all of a sudden there's this cataclysm. Uh-oh. And the pond ruptures, and now there's a river going out here, okay? There's a cataclysm, and the water starts draining from the pond, and it's into a river that is heading towards, oh, no, a waterfall. And this is a death, deathly waterfall. If you're in that waterfall, you're toast. So you don't want to go that far, okay? So here we've got the order for God to allow the decree to permit the fall of man. These people are chosen before that happens. They're either saved or they're condemned. Okay, that happened before the decree to permit the fall of man. Okay, so uh, when the ones he created for salvation come along, what does he do? They're going down the river. He simply picks them up, and he says, you're saved, and he puts them back in there, and he puts a force field around them so they can't go out of the, the pond again. They're saved. Those are the ones that he has picked. Okay, this is God saying, I predestined you before the fall of man. I am going to make sure that you are saved. Okay, now, this is whether they want it or not. These ducks had no choice in the matter. They, they're in the river. They're not even trying to get out of the river. God just sovereignly pulls them out and says, you're saved, and you're not, okay? But there's a difference about what he does here. When the ones he created for salvation comes along, he pulls them out of the water, okay? And then the ones that he created for condemnation, guess what he does? He doesn't say, I'm just going to let them go down to the waterfall. He actually pushes them down to the waterfall because he created them for condemnation, they have been created to be condemned, and he says, I don't have time for these guys. He just pushes them down into the waterfall. Down goes the duck, and here at the bottom there's a rock, and he gets splattered all over, and it's time for duck soup, or what do we call it? Press duck. Okay, Chinese, Chinese press duck. Okay, so anyway, that duck is toast. And God didn't just say, I'm just going to let them do what they're doing until they die. This is a mean, vindictive God, and he pushes them down the river. That is the idea of double predestination. God condemned you, you were going to hell, and he's going to get you there one way or another. There's nothing you can do about it, okay? That, that is what that means. He's a mean, he's an angry God, but believe it or not, this is what some people believe. They believe that God is like this, that his nature is not love, as the Bible says. God is love, but he's a vindictive God. He's angry at the people that he created. He created them for condemnation, and by gosh, they're going to get there, right? So with this doctrine, there is absolutely no reason to do what? Evangelize. There's no reason at all to evangelize anybody. So they sit in their church, they're snub about their salvation, and they don't care about anybody else on this planet. There's absolutely no reason to evangelize, which is completely contrary to Jesus' final words in the book of Matthew, where it says, go and make disciples. There's no reason to do it. Now, the second view is the same. They deny that. We know this because he's got friends that are Calvinists that 
he talks to all the time. They deny this, but that's the logical outcome of the next view as well. But this view, there is no reason to evangelize because these people are condemned and God created them to be condemned. God is sovereign. He's not going to change his mind. They're toast. Press duck. Okay, so... You don't have to evangelize. You don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. You don't have to have a missionary budget or help out people coming to church looking to help because why? We're saved. doesn't matter. Okay? It is as close to ascribing evil to God as one could possibly do. And in fact, it does. It ascribes evil to God because God is the one that created them for condemnation. And if man going to uh, uh, hell is a bad thing, which the Bible priests, you know, that's a assumption of the Bible is bad for people to go to hell. Yeah. God is responsible for it. Double predestination, so okay? If believe, yes. If you believe that, you'd have no choice. That's right. right. So and that's what they believe. That's exactly right. They believe that there is absolutely no choice in the matter and that people are just, they, they are what they are and there's nothing you can do about it. All right. The next view, if you remind me while I'm doing it, as we get towards the end of it, remind me what, um, uh, what what's the great preacher from England, uh, Beard, uh, uh, Come on. Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon. Somebody asked him because he was he, he was leaned to Calvinism and he believed that people were predestined. And he gave an example to a lady that was feeling smug like this. And remind me of that in a few minutes. Anyway, the second view here is also incorrect. All right. This is an incorrect view. Infra. Infra lapsinarianism. Laps and Arianism. I know I'm getting too long on this. I screwed it up somewhere, but it doesn't matter. Infralapsinarianism. Okay, infra means below, like uh, infrared below the red scale. So that's below. This concept says that the decree, this is the timeline that God has created. It's happening in our time, even though he's not thinking sequentially. He's already done it in his mind and in the decree. It's done, but the decrees are for our benefit. Okay, this concept says that the decree of election is logically after the decree to permit the fall. This is the fall of man, and so the decree of election is after that decree. Man falls, he permits man to fall, and then he says, I will do something about it. I will elect people for salvation at this time. Okay, election is after the, the fall of man. Okay, this is held by strong Calvinists, but it is not double predestination. Let me put that down in right spot. Okay, strong Calvinists, and this is what people like, you know, they say, I'm a tulip guy, and I'm a Calvinist, and they go to their church. This is what they believe. Okay, God created all man, right here, and then he permitted the fall to happen, and then since then, he has and he will continue to elect some and will pass others by. Okay, in other words, the fall of man has happened, and God says, well, that was a bad thing, and I knew that was going to happen, but I'm going to start electing people for salvation after the fall. It's not double predestination because he didn't create them for salvation or condemnation. He created them knowing that they would fall and then he would start electing them according to his sovereign choice. Okay, now God is sovereign. And I talked about that a couple minutes ago. The difference between R.C. Sproul and me would be that my God that I believe in is sovereignly allowing us to make a choice which he knew we would make. It doesn't change his sovereignty at all. Not one iota. But they believe that God sovereignly makes the choice apart from our free will. If you believe this, then you have no explanation for the fall of man. We'll talk about that if I have time. But right now, we're just going to get this out so you can see the different views. Okay, God sovereignly chooses man after the fall of man. Okay, he will, he has and he will continue to elect some and he will pass others by. 
He provides and supplies or applies salvation only for the elect. This is limited atonement once again. Christ died on the cross for some people, not all people. Once again, same verse, Peter, read it again. Uh, long-suffering, knowing. Lord is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's right. All should come to repentance. Peter says that he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So once again, there's a contradiction in that verse, and they've got to come up with some, you know, uh, some fudging to get that verse to not say what it says. Okay, and I was thinking about because Burke and I were talking about um, the verses in um, uh, uh, Revelation 3 where it says, um, I'm knocking at the door and if you open, and there is a view. Some people say that that is not speaking about receiving Jesus into your life. It's speaking to saved believers that need to turn back to um, uh, correct living for the Lord. And then the last verse is speaking to unsaved believers. So they tie that I'm knocking at the door, anybody who uh, will open me and I will dine with them, they're tying it to up here. Whereas the people that believe that he is speaking to individuals will tie it to the last verse, people that are unsaved. Okay, And I am certain that that was a Calvinist insertion somewhere along the line, because it's so obvious that if he's speaking to unsaved people, then it blows their argument out of the water. Mm -hmm. It is speaking to unsaved people. He is saying that if you will, I am knocking, and if you will open the door, I will come in and dine with you, you know, and etc. Go into Revelation 3 something, 17, 20, thank you. Okay, 320. So anyway, I am absolutely certain that that is speaking to the people of the last verse, because they're tied together, and he's speaking to individuals, not to the church as a whole. It is addressed to the church as a whole, but that's a separate issue. We'll get into that later, okay? But um, uh, it, it does tie into this, and I'm certain that Calvinism, they took that verse and they said, this has to be speaking to believers already, because otherwise, it, it once again, like Peter, it blows our, our theology out of the water. But we'll go on. Okay, so R.C. Sproul, who I bring up all the time. As a matter of fact, I just brought in his table talk, and I meant to open us with, because it's got great stuff on baptism, Doug. I'll pull it up. Remind me. I know we'll talk about that if we have time at the end of the class. I made some notes and I wanted to read them to the class before um, the class, but we might be long anyway. So, okay, R.C. Sproul holds to this. I love the guy. He's wrong on quite a few issues. He's definitely wrong on predestination and election. Okay, if you know him, he is in this category right here. Man fell, and then God starts electing some for salvation and passing over others. Okay, this view still holds to limited atonement like the first view. In both views, God loves only the elect in terms of salvation. So that's how they get around God is love and he loves everybody. God is love. God loves everybody evenly. God cannot change in his love. He cannot love Adolf Hitler less than he loves you. It is not possible. God is love. He must judge your infractions, but God is love. Love is love. If he changes in his love, it's not the God of the Bible. God is love, okay? So, uh, he's impassable is the word. I said impassionate a couple weeks ago. He's impassable. No There's no change in his love. What's that? No shadow or turning. No shadow or turning. That's a great verse. We had to go through that really quickly. What that means is uh, the word in uh, Greek, I think, is paralege. Um, uh, no shadow or turning. You've got the earth here, okay? And you've got the stars here, and you've got the stars here, and then... Uh, when you look at the star here and another person looks at this star here, they're seeing it from a different angle, mm -hmm. right? Or when you have a camera and you shine it at somebody and you take a picture and there's a parallax between what the camera is looking at and what your eyes are looking at and you cut off their feet. 
That's because you're looking at two different angles. Okay, in God there is no parallelity. There is no shadow or turning. Everything is to God. There is nothing that is varied from any perspective. It is all exactly the same. No matter which way you look at something, from God's perspective, it is. So I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. That fits perfectly with that. There, in God, there's no shadow or turning. That's from the book of James, and I think it's chapter 5, but I could be wrong. Anyway, um, we'll go on. So we have um, the others. He elects people for salvation, whether they want it or not. Okay, He decides who will be saved, and he passes by the others. Those he pulls. Okay, let, let's give you the example right now. Oh, I, I, I skipped over something. He loves everybody equally. There is no increase or decrease in his love from his perspective. I said that. Okay, so we're going to go back to the ducks to understand what's going on. God creates this nice, quiet pond with the ducks in it. Okay, you've got, we've got all superior word people here. We're all in here. We're all these ducks, okay? And uh, he puts the ducks in the pond, but after the ducks enter the pond, once again, cataclysm, fall of man, right? And then, of course, we have bad stuff at the end, and we got the rock and the pressed duck, so we don't want to forget that part, because that's dinner. Um, anyway, so um, uh, he, uh, there's the cataclysm, the water starts draining from the pond into a river heading towards a waterfall. Same thing. When the ones he decide to be saved pass by, what does he do? He pulls them out of the water. He says, you're saved. You're saved. Jim and Linda both made the cut. Woo! Okay? We got others. I'm not going to say which ones aren't making it, but God knows already some of us doesn't matter what we want. It's what he chooses. So you've said, I received Jesus. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. You're one of these ducks, and you're going down the river, okay? Now, when the ones he decides should be saved, pass by, he pulls them out, whether they want it or not. Once again, there's no free will no in this. Free will. There's no choice. No there, might as well just take whosoever out of the Bible. Take, if you believe, take all of the verses that imply faith, because faith is something that comes from within, not without. All those verses, I want you to put an X through them, a red X, and just ignore them because they don't say what you think they say according to this, this skewed view, okay? So the others, what do they do? They simply head down the river, and they're, yeah, they're destroyed in the waterfall. But this is the difference between them and the poor ducks before. In the one before, God just went, oh, I hate you, and he just pushes them down. In this one, he says, I just don't care about you. And so you're going down there, and off you go. Right into the abyss, press stock for dinner. Okay, so that's that. That is what this teaches. Whether they agree with this or not, that is exactly what this teaches. Because these poor ducks have no choice, and he simply doesn't care about them. Because if he is sovereign and he can save everybody, and he really is love, then he would save everybody. You see what I'm saying? He would. But this God does not care about the unsaved. Christ died on the, the cross only for a certain group of people and nobody else. Limited atonement. Absolutely wrong. It's absolutely crazy. All right. If, has anybody ever read the Bible and thought this? No. No. This has to be trained into people. This has to be trained. I had somebody one time post on uh, on uh, one of my sermons. He said, Charlie Garrett is full of pride. And I, I thought, what is he talking about? Anyway, it took about three more sermons where he posted on there. He says, he's so prideful. And he said, Finally, I realize he's talking about Calvinism because at the end of every sermon, I give a call and I say, please receive Jesus. You need to have him. And he says, he's full of pride because in other words, all people that received Jesus were full of pride because we have made the choice. And he said, I read the Bible one time and I knew that John Calvin was right. And I said, that guy is a liar. He is an absolute liar because that has to be trained in you. You will never pick up that book and say, oh, 
The Bible says that you're regenerated in order to believe. That's a theology that has to be read into yeah, the... There's uh, a few other things, too, that, that pop holes in this. It's like the time of is necessary. That's right. It's like, right. okay, well, I'm going to wait for you to come by before I decide. It's like, right. okay, then you're not God because you should Well, know. what they're saying is that he already knew. Yeah. He's just allowing right. this. This is, as I said, this is happening in our time, but he knew this before he created it. So the same so. thing falls on that. Why would you evangelize? That, well, I'm getting to that. That's, that's what we talk about at Mission Work about his friends all the time. Anyway, we're going to go on. Um, okay, so um, where was I? He doesn't care about those unsaved ones, poor ducks, okay? So um, where was I? At least he doesn't push them down the river, but he doesn't bother helping them out. Right. They were simply not a part of his plan. This is not the hateful God of double predestination, but he is rather uncaring about those he did not elect. He just doesn't care. Poor ducks. I mean, if you're not saved, he doesn't care. Why would Christ go to the cross if he didn't care about the unsaved? It makes no sense, but this is what they teach. Like the first view, there is no reason at all for someone to bother telling about Jesus or sending out missionaries. Now, R.C. Sproul has got this worldwide ministry, and every time I get one of his uh, monthly uh, CDs in and I listen to it, what's the first thing he does every single month? Ask for money. He asks for money. <laughs> we're, we're, we're evangelizing the world. We're telling the world about Jesus Christ. Why bother? Why? Because God has already sovereignly chosen, and then they start equivocating, and they say, well, we don't know which ones God needs to, and so it's our job to go out and do what Jesus said. It makes no sense, because if God is sovereign, you don't need my money. That is all there is to it. You, you do not need my money. You don't need a worldwide ministry. You don't need to have these conferences and wear that pretty yellow tie that he wears and do all these things with his hands when he's preaching because he's effectively bringing people to Christ with his body movements. It doesn't matter. It's pointless, and that's what this is. I don't care what anybody says to me. They can send me emails full of information this is what it comes down to this is the basics this is the ducks and this is what these people teach it is not correct okay we'll go on uh yeah we got enough time all right so proponents of this view uh would say that if it was intended for all to be saved then all would be saved because god's sovereign intentions must come about therefore if it wasn't intended for all to be saved then it was only intended for some, meaning the elect. So they're using these terms and saying, well, if God's sovereign intentions are that everybody would be saved, then everybody would be saved. And you're wrong, Charlie Garrett. That's what they say. That's a perverse way of looking at the cross. It's a perverse way because, as I said, Christ died as we believe, not limited. He died for everybody, potentially, just not actually. He allows people to choose, but they cannot insert free will into their thinking because if they do... Everything they have taught for eons since John Calvin must be scrapped. And people get pride in their hearts, and they pride in their hearts. Charlie Garrett got pride in his hearts. He says to receive Jesus. I'm telling you, people have pride in their hearts because they will not look at another view and say, well, you know, I could be wrong. People aren't going to do that. But you look at the ducks, it's very simple what's going on here. You don't need to get into deep theology, even though this is very, very deep <laughs> theology. Okay? You want to keep it simple so people can understand it. Okay, so... Um, uh, let me go back a little bit on one paragraph. I skipped one sentence. I said that they don't need to evangelize. They dispute this. They do dispute it, but it is the logical result of such a view. If God chooses us for salvation apart from our will, then honestly, what is the point? Are God's plans going to be thwarted? And the answer is no. 
So why give him your money for his evangelism? Because God's will can't be for you. My friend says the same thing. Says, yeah, that's right. Why, why do you go to the city and, 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 you know, tell people about Jesus? He goes, well, I might be the one who tells them and they they hear it. It's like, but if God's sovereignly did it, God, then you don't need to go because like, somebody else will do it for you, right. or, he'll, or he'll just pop into their head and, right. and they'll see. It, it it is a flawed system. Okay, so I said um, this is a false dilemma about what they said is intended. Let me read it to you again, so you got it, because I skipped a couple of lines. Proponents of this view would say that if it was intended for all to be saved, then all would be saved. That's what they would say about our view because God's sovereign intentions must come about. Therefore, if it wasn't intended for all to be saved, then it was only intended for some, the elect. So that's what they do. But this is a false dilemma. The atonement of Jesus is an offering and it is intended to save all, but it only applies salvation to those who believe. And that's what the Bible teaches, believe it or not. That is what the Bible teaches. Go back to a Peter verse again, right? He is long suffering, desiring that none would be lost. But he knows that some are going to be lost, and it's not because he doesn't care. It's because they don't care. That's the difference, okay? So um, Calvinism wrongly assumes that the atonement of Jesus Christ has only one purpose, which is to secure the elect salvation. Jesus died so that we can be saved. And that's not true. That's not the only purpose of the cross. In fact, Jesus' sacrifice, according to Romans 1, had another purpose. It was to reveal the righteousness of God in judgment. We turn away from God, and God judges us. So there's more than one purpose of the cross. They say the only purpose of the cross is to save the elect. That is it. But that's not correct. God reveals the righteousness of his own being in his judgment. God sent his son to die in your place, and when you turn him down, judgment will result. Even without the cross, we are condemned. How much more just is God when he sends his son and we turn it down? He is just and justified in our condemnation. Okay. The result of this idea of limited atonement is that it denies that God really desires all people to be saved. God does not desire it if you're a Calvinist, because if he did, all people would be saved. Okay. It denies that. This is contrary to his omnibenevolence. God is omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's omniscient, he knows everything, he's omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful, I'm close, but I'm not, okay, but he is also omnibenevolent, God is love, that means that he is all-loving, it's not partially loving, he is omnibenevolent, okay, so, um, uh, omnibenevolent, and where was I again, okay, um, and it's also contrary to the Bible itself, that, one more time, Peter, I mean, uh, Burke Peter, tonight. <laughs> Go ahead. God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come, come to, to repentance. That's right. So it's contrary to that. Okay, so you understand this view more clearly. You need to consider the concept of free will. Do we freely choose Jesus Christ, or does God choose us apart from our will? The two options are known as monergism and synergism. Another couple big words, very simple, mono- one, synergism, like synergistic, working together. Okay, monergism and synergism. This is going to be a diversion from what we're doing. We may not get through this class today. Monergism teaches that regeneration is completely the result of God's work. Man has no part or cooperation in it. It is salvation by what they term, ah, that tulip, T-U, I couldn't remember it, irresistible grace. 
okay? Irresistible grace, limited atonement, irresistible grace, um, uh, total depravity, perseverance of the saints, and one other I'm not remembering right now. It doesn't matter. I'll get to it eventually. But, all right, we've got irresistible grace leading to regeneration and then to faith. God regenerates you, and then you have faith. In other words, a person is saved before, they before they're saved. If you're regenerated in order to believe by God, you are saved before you're saved. And that's exactly what that means. Okay? So, how can anyone make a claim that they're saved when they didn't have anything to do with their salvation? How, how, how can you make that claim? Right? In other words, you are speaking for God by claiming salvation at all. I'm one of the elect. God elected me. Well, how do you know? How do you know? You are making God's claim for him when you say, I am saved. Because only God saves, and how do you know? There's nothing to prove that you are one of God's elect, right? You see it? You're speaking for God. Okay, so of course, their answer is, I believed after regeneration, and therefore I'm saved. That's what their answer will be. However, there are false gospels, and people believe them, don't they? They're all over the world. They're false gospels. There are people who wrongly believe and yet claim that they're saved. People all over the world believe in a false gospel, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the Seventh-day Adventists and all of these other groups of people. They believe a false gospel, and they say, I'm saved. When they find out they're wrong, they change their belief, hopefully, in order to be saved. And they go to Calvinism, and they say, see, I'm saved. How do they know? Right. Because they were in one false system. How do they know they're not in another false system? Because there's no way of knowing without speaking for God. Okay? They believed incorrectly, and now they're believing correctly. Well, maybe they're still incorrect. They are. Okay? So, false gospels, as I said, imply that there is a true gospel. And the spirit of Antichrist implies that there is a true spirit. Belief must precede regeneration. It must, if you think it through. And it does. This is what the Bible teaches. Your faith brings what? Salvation. Your faith brings salvation. Finally, monergism denies free will. But free will is necessary for love because forced love is not love. That's right. It's slavery. It's not love. You can call it anything you want, but it is not love if God forced you into believing and being saved, which you can't know because you're speaking for God. So the whole thing is convoluted. All right, synergism, this is the correct one. Monergism, synergism. Synergism teaches that we freely choose Christ and then are regenerated to life. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches about five billion times maybe, both by Jesus' words, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave gift, his only begotten son, that whoever is regenerated in order to believe and believes is saved and will not perish and have that. It doesn't say that. It says if you believe, you're granted salvation, right? That's what it says there, okay, as well as the apostolic writings all through the epistles. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, I say it every single week. I believe God seals me with the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee of my salvation. That is what the Bible says. I can't know truly if I'm saved, if I'm a Calvinist, unless I speak for God. If I'm a synergist, I know that God has saved me because he said, I will save you if you demonstrate faith in the death and burial and resurrection of my son. You can know. 100% you can know. And it's not being presumptuous and speaking for God. It's speaking from God. God said it and I believe it. 
It's not the same with monergism. You must speak for God. Okay, so an argument against this, though, is that the Bible says we are dead. R.C. Sproul loves this one. We're dead in our sins and that it is Jesus who restores us to life. The argument is, and this is R.C. Sproul's argument, how can a dead person choose life? There you go. R.C. Sproul says it this way. This is a quote from R.C. You have as much power to awaken yourself from spiritual death as the corpse has the power to awaken himself from physical death. What is that called? It's a fallacy known as a category mistake. Spiritual and physical are two completely separate things. It's a category. Yeah, he's right. It's stupidity. It's a category mistake. We are spiritually dead in our sins. Every person here, when we were born, was born dead. Spiritually dead. That's what the Bible teaches. There is a disconnect from God, and we cannot correct that disconnect. It is impossible. We are spiritually dead. We are not dead beings. I guarantee you that if I went over to Jim or one of these other people in the class right now, and I put my ear up against there, I'd hear this. Okay? Hope it's still there tomorrow, too. But we're, right now, we are physical living beings. And we are made with the ability to do something. To think. To choose. To decline. To do all of these things. In fact, this is exactly what Genesis 3, verse 22 implies. Somebody read that for us. Genesis 3, 22. Quickly, quickly. Because we're, we're going to run out of time. We won't be able to finish this class. 22. 3, 22. Okay. That would be... Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like, like one, one of us, us to know no good and evil. And evil. And now, it, go ahead. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then he expelled him from the garden. Mm -hmm. So it implies that we gained knowledge at the fall. We didn't have the knowledge that we gained at the fall. So we got something out of the fall, believe it or not. Okay? So... We have that ability to make these, and Genesis 3.22 implies it. Mixing these two categories, as R.C. Sproul did in that quote, leads to very bad theology, such as monergism. To understand this, one can watch my sermon on free will on Genesis chapter 2. If you want to know how we got free will and how it applies to our life, go and watch it. Genesis chapter 2, free will sermon. It's on uh, Church on the Beach TV, which is the superior word. Okay. Anyway, um, the Bible teaches what we would call anthropological hieromorphism. I brought this up a few times in the past few weeks. We are a soul-body unity. The spirit of man is dead, but the spirit of man is tied to the soul. Paul, speaking to saved believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, says that the soul without a body is yeah. naked. It's unclothed. It's unclothed, implying that it's not in the correct state. Okay? So, the spirit of man is made alive when we call on Christ, even if our body later dies. We're a soul body unity. We are, have no connection with God. When we call on Christ, we are reconnected to God. But the soul lives on afterward, just in an unnatural state. Okay? This is eternal life, and it occurs the moment that you believe. That's what Paul says. The moment you believe, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is done. We don't become a soul, body, spirit unity. People teach that man is a soul, body, and spirit. That's not correct. Anthropological hylomorphism. Man is a body, soul, unity. Okay? That is all we are. All right? The, um, where was I? Adam's spirit died at the fall. Faith in Christ regenerates the spirit. 
As I said, the spirit of Antichrist, which John speaks of, actually confirms us. Just think it through. If there's an Antichrist, then there's a true Christ. Mm -hmm. All right? You can't have this with monergism. It's not possible. The third wrong concept of our four major categories is Wesleyanism. So we'll go to that. Third and fourth. This is the third, because I'm doing the, the correct one last. Oh, okay. So the third one is Wesleyanism. Okay? This is named after John Wesley. The view says that God's election is based on his foreknowledge, he knew, but not necessarily in accord with it. That's a problem there. It says that God elected us, he knew what our election was, but it's not necessarily in accord with his foreknowledge, okay? In other words, God's decrees are conditional, which means that God does what? He changes his mind. Yeah, which is not the God of the Bible, I'm sorry. This is the beginning of major error, and it goes all the way back to Jacob Arminius, who lived in the 1500s. His view denies eternal security. It reveals a God who is changing and makes mistakes. John Wesley, I, and this is a true story here, just so you know. When John Wesley wanted to get married, do you know what he did? Changed. What, no, John Wesley. What did he do to make every decision in his life, including getting married? So, what? Cards. He threw right. lots. He threw lots. He went back to the Old Testament lot system, and he threw lots even to get married. Okay, John Wesley. Okay, couldn't decide which was right on this, and so he followed the teaching of Arminius after asking God for a sign and throwing lots twice. The lots came up, go with Arminius, and so he did. But we don't get our theology from happenstance and chance. Instead, we get it from the Bible. There may have been somebody else in the room with John Wesley that wasn't God, right? Correct. Okay. John Wesley, the Methodists, the Church of God, Mennonites, and others who believe and hold this view are wrong. Likewise, the previous view, they believe that God created all, and then he permitted the fall. So, we have the same pattern here. God created, he allowed the fall of man before he made his decision. Okay? He did that. All right? Then he provides salvation for all people. This gets scary because Charlie says unlimited atonement. Well, that's what this guy is teaching, unlimited atonement. Charlie's a heretic. We'll go on. Okay, so um, he permitted the fall, and he provides salvation for all people. God knows who the elect are based on the foreseen faith of those who believe. I know he's going to believe, and so I'm electing them now. Okay? I've said that too. Charlie Garrett must be a heretic. All right? Because of this faith, he applies salvation only to believers— but believers can lose their salvation. And here's where the difference comes along. Oh, no, same thing again. Doug, I hate this part, except the duck at the bottom. It's press duck day. Okay, so for a duck example, God creates the pond, the river, and the ducks, all of the cute little ducks, okay? He puts all the ducks in the pond, and they eventually go to the river, which is heading towards a waterfall. Dang it, the fall of man happened again. Off go the ducks. Help me, help me, somebody help me. Okay, so they're going towards the waterfall. As the ducks come by, what does he do? Choosing. No? No. He's already he already he knows that we are choosing. He asks. He puts his favorite duck by the river. Okay? And he says, um, <laughs> his perfect duck. Nothing wrong with this duck. He's on the side and he uh his favorite duck on the shore and he's quacking for the ducks to come out. Right? He says, All who come to me come. And that's what these he's not trying to say Jesus is a duck. I'm using an example, okay? I want everybody to understand that. Yes. All right, so he's saying, come unto me, all you who are weary, and you know, and I will give you rest. I know I misquoted that verse, but anyway. But there's a waterfall up ahead. 
please come out. If you don't come out, you're going to get quacked up. Okay? So, off they go. Some of the ducks come out and they decide they, and some decide they like the river. It's free will. Oh, I'm coming out. I'm going towards this perfect duck. And some of them say, oh, I love this river. And there's a lot of them in the world today, aren't there? They're in the river and they love the river. This is what we see in the world. Okay? Those that come out, however, can never know if they have upset the perfect duck. And they might have to go back to the river. In other words, you can leave, lose your salvation. Mennonites teach this. Church of God teaches this. All of these, these uh, West uh, Methodist church, they all teach this. Okay. Now they didn't say that in the Methodist church too, but this is what their doctrine teaches them. This is what they are trained in in their theology. Whether a pastor teaches the doctrine of their their seminary or not, this is what they are told. We believe, and they must sign those statements. What did you say, doctor? Salvation Army also. Salvation Army. Thank you. Exactly. So you've got the, they, they cannot know if they have upset the perfect river, the perfect duck, and have to go back into the river. You've upset me. You've lost your salvation. You know when I say eternal salvation, and I say once saved, always saved, yes. and people will post on one of those videos, no, and they say, you're a heretic. Right. You, once saved, always saved is the doctrine of the devil, right? Well, guess what? These are the people that are writing that. They have been trained in the theology that you can lose your salvation. Okay, we got to go on. We're almost out of time. There is never, there is never true safety in coming out to the perfect duck. Okay, in fact, these ducks can't really tell the river from the shore at all. That's a sad thing. They're in the river and they're going off to hell, and they can't really tell if they've gotten onto the shore because it's kind of muddy out there. They don't know if they're going to get sucked back in. The poor ducks spend their entire lifetime trying to please a group of lower ducks, right, that the perfect duck left behind. What do you call that? Teachers that teach this type of doctrine? Bondage. Bondage. They are purposely telling people that it's control over them. You can't know if you're saved, and you better be in church on Sunday, and you better do all the things. Yeah, it, it, is the, it is the duck that is left behind. And there are people all over that teach this. I, t- I can't tell you how many people email me and say, I was in a church where the pastor said, I lost my salvation because I didn't come to church 14 times that year, or some what, crazy what thing. What is this called again? This is Wesleyanism. Wesley. This is John Wesley, the founder wow. of the Methodist Church, and all of these other things. Okay, so if the lower duck, which is a pastor, says that they have been bad ducks, then they have to go back to the river again. Imagine being one of these poor, unsure, and ever-worried group of ducks. Poor ducks, right? They, They will never know. They will never know if they're saved until the day they die, and their family will never have the assurance that their son or husband or father or whatever actually is in heaven because the perfect duck left behind this this sub duck that said your dad was a bad guy and I don't think he was saved he's in hell right now and that's his choice because he has the authority in the church okay that that is absolutely crazy all right but it does bear close resemblance to what I'm going to tell you right now which is the I'm going to leave that in that there to the correct view okay our final view is what is correct first it makes sense from a philosophic standpoint okay philosophy itself if you just think things through Without even looking at the Bible, you can deduce certain things about God. Go watch the Genesis 1-1 sermon, and you'll understand that. There are certain things that you can know, and there are certain things that you can't know without the Bible, which is God's special special revelation to lead us to what we need to know. But there are certain things that you can know. So philosophically, this makes sense. Second, it makes sense from a moral standpoint, because God isn't an evil God that sends people off to hell willingly. He's not a uncaring God that just says, 
they're going to hell and I don't care. And they're not, he's not a God which waffles and changes all the time and never gives his people surety of salvation. None of those are morally correct. If you look at the Bible, none of those match what is morally correct. Okay, so the third view is the only view which is supported, I'm sorry, the third view, which is the fourth view I'm presenting, but it is the third view in logical order. It's the only view which is supported by the Bible. And it answers the question of why we fell in the first place, okay? It also answers where evil came from without ascribing it to God, because Calvinism cannot say where evil came from. Came from. They, they can't explain it, because if they explain it, ultimately it goes back to God, all right? But this view can explain it, and it doesn't go back to God. It's like when Joseph said what you meant for uh, evil, God meant for good. We can know these things, and God does know these things. The other views can't answer that, and so they just leave that alone because there's no way of taking care of this issue of where does evil come from. All right, with th without this view that I'm going to give you, one is forever searching for the root of evil, the cause of evil. Where did it come from? This is a question that Dr. Sproul and others must and do ask. They can never find an answer to it because their theology leaves no room for it. I listened to a long talk on him about the root of evil, and in the end, he didn't answer anything. He said, I, here, uh, let me see if I, I, I don't, oh yeah, let me read this, and then I'll, I'll tell you where he had his little epiphany, all right? Um, their mistaken idea is that God created everything perfectly, and so if man fell, then God must have blown it by creating a being that could fall, right? This is especially true because if intent to sin is evil, as Jesus clearly says, you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery already, then Adam fell before the fall because he lusted after the fruit before he ate it. And I listened to R.C. Sproul talking about that one time. He's saying, I didn't know where evil came from. And I was out playing tennis and I suddenly had an epiphany. I realized if Adam fell and he looked at the fruit, then he must have fallen before he fell. Yeah, that was, his, that was his final conclusion. He never answered where evil comes from because he can't. All right? So um, he said they, uh, uh, he must have uh, fell because he lusted after the fruit before he ate it. But they know that God didn't create evil. They know that God didn't create evil. But he fell before the fall, so where did evil come from? That is the question that he is left with. Yes, okay? That's not a good answer. It, no, it's not. So the correct view is sublapsinarianism. Let me write it down one more time. Sub laps and I'm doing I'm glad I'm doing this from notes I hate that I am because I don't like using notes as much as possible but there's just too much and you always end up missing something laps in Arianism Arianism whatever all right something like that below fallism the doctrine of okay it's sub means under or after like submarine everybody know what a submarine is okay or a sub sandwich you eat that after you have your regular lunch. Sub sandwich. Okay, so God's order to provide salvation came before his elect, his order to elect the people of the world. Let me read that again. God's order to provide salvation came before his order to elect the people of the world. So you've got the people of the world, which he is going to elect, all right, here, but... Before that happened, he ordered a means of salvation. Here's the means of salvation, and then after that, then he uh, decides to elect who he's going to elect. And what does that fit in with? Revelation 13, verse 8, anybody? Uh, before the foundation, uh, 
Christ was crucified before the lamb slain, before the foundation of the world. I knew you'd get that. Okay, so this basically says, I will send my son to die, and then all who call on him will be saved. This is the first thing in God's mind is the cross. And then after that, then I'm going to elect people. Okay, it provides unlimited atonement. Same thing as John Wesley. Everybody can be saved. God died on, what did he say in John 12? I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. He's made the offer. All men can be drawn unto him. Everybody can be saved with the P, what is the P word? It ends with a potentially. That's right, potentially. Okay, so all people are saved potentially, but only for God's people who choose Christ actually. Thank you, actually. So you've got potential and you've got actual. That's 1 Timothy 4.10. Go ahead. Savior of all men. He's the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. That's right, especially those. He is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Very good verse for that. Like the two previous views, this view holds that God created all, and then permitted the fall. One more time with the ducks. Yes, there is a hell. I'm not going to deny that reality. Okay. So, like the previous two view, it holds to God created all, and then he permitted the fall of man right here. Okay. Where was I? All right. He permitted, then he uh, allowed the uh, fall of man. He provides salvation for all people after the fall of man. But the elect of God are those who believe. God passes by those who do not believe based on their rejection of Jesus Christ. Not because he doesn't care about them, not because he hates them, and not because he changes his mind about things. He does it because he has allowed man to make his own choices. It does not harm God's sovereignty this much to say that Charlie Garrett willingly jumped into hell and he built a diving board before he went there so he could do great flips into it, all right? It doesn't change his sovereignty at all, not at all. As a matter of fact, it magnifies God when he says, I'm going to allow you to choose whether you're gonna have faith in this or not. It is the greatest exaltation of Christ. What does he say when a sinner repents? What happens in heaven? Oh, the angels like rejoice, right? It doesn't sound like his type of predestination at all, okay? God passes those by those who do not believe based on their rejecting of his offer of Jesus. It isn't that he doesn't care about them. It is that they do not care about him. This view applies. It applies salvation only to believers who can never lose it. If you have chosen Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and I hate to tell these people in the Wesleyan churches, Methodist and the, the, Mormon, uh, the Mormons, Mennonites. the, uh, the uh, Mennonites. Mennonites and all that, you, can lose, you cannot lose your salvation. That is what the Bible teaches, and it says it implicitly at least 10,000 times, maybe a billion. I don't know. I like to use superlatives. It doesn't really have it 10,000 times, but you know what I'm saying. Okay, so it applies salvation to all believers. They cannot lose it. There is security. There is eternal security in the arms of Jesus Christ. A theological basis for this view is that God is, and I said it before, omnibenevolent. In other words, he loves all of the people of the world. God is love. He loves his creation. He loves everything about his creation. All right. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. Or the Bible tells me so. Or the Bible tells me so. There is no hatred of the person and no active passing by people. He offers to all the elect who respond. He desires all to repent and come to him for his unlimited salvation and favor. 
This doesn't mean that there is good in us because Calvinists will say you're claiming that there's good in us, like that guy that said Charlie's full of pride because I'm saying please come to the cross and be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's a prideful man because I believe that I can choose my salvation. I didn't do anything for it. He offered it and I received it. There was no works in that and it's excluded by Romans 3.17. Somebody read Romans 3.17. All right? Works, belief in Christ is not a work. But any way, shape, or form, and Romans 3.17 explicitly says that. When you get there, start reading, anybody. 3.17? Yep. And mm. the way of peace they do not know? Okay, Romans, maybe it's 3.27. Okay. Uh, when, yeah. Yeah. Three, then is boasting. Okay, go ahead, say it, it again. It, when, when then is boasting, it is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. On faith. He says that faith has nothing to do with works. There is no law concerning faith. It is not a work. So that blows their argument out of the water as well. Okay? So uh, this doesn't mean that there's good in us, as they would claim. It means that we see the good in him, and we come to it. That is what the Bible teaches. As far as our ducks are concerned, God creates the pond, the river, and the ducks, okay? He puts all the ducks in the pond, and then eventually they end in the river, which is heading towards a waterfall. Same scenario with all three. Nobody can deny that there is a fall of man in the Bible unless they're a complete idiot, okay? So everybody's heading towards the waterfall. As the duck comes by, he leaves his perfect duck on the shore, quacking for the ducks. Here's the cross. He's there. He's waiting for them, okay? He's waiting. He's quacking for the ducks to come out and offering bread which will sustain them and guide them right he's giving them bread on the side of the river he's saying here i'm going to feed you over here there's a waterfall up ahead if you don't get out now you're going to get quacked up same thing as the last few some of the ducks come out and some decide that they like the river it's exactly what we see in the world yeah. those that do come out are protected by this perfect duck if they stay if they stray it is never to the river Okay, we read about that all through the Bible. People straying away. They're going all over, but they never go back to the river. They are once and forever out of that river. There's a force field that will never allow them to go towards that terrible place again. Sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. That's your force field, folks. These imperfect ducks are saved from it despite themselves. God was pleased that they believed. And though they may have forgotten, go read 2 Peter 1, 9. We did that a couple weeks ago. He never did. He never forgot the claim that they made or the profession they made in faith. He never forgot that. A little child that says, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, right? And then they forget as they grow up. You think God rejected that act of faith? Never. And he never will. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches. The first two views hold to salvation only for the elect. The third view holds to salvation for believers, but they can lose it. The correct view holds to salvation for believers, even though it is offered to all, and that when accepted, it is a done deal. The salvation cannot be lost. There is ample biblical support for both eternal salvation. It actually says eternal salvation in the book of Hebrews, but it's elsewhere many, many times, and salvation offered to all. That is, multiple times you'll see both of those in the Bible. Any verses which appear to contradict these, such as John 6.44, which is the verse of Calvinists, is taken completely out of context. John 6.44. It is the verse that they use all the time. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. 
Well, guess what? It's made obsolete in John chapter 12 when he says, when I am lifted up, all people will be drawn unto me. So they can't even use that. But what he's speaking about in John 6, 44, he explains in John chapter 5 when he's speaking about the scriptures, which are intended to leave the people of Israel to Jesus. And they didn't. And he's saying, you've got the scriptures. You can't come to me unless the Father draws you because this is what tells of me. That's what that's based on. But they take this one verse completely out of context and they use it against people all the time. It is the wrong verse to use and they use it as if it was their marching orders. It is not correct, okay? It's taken out of context by theologically confused Christians called Calvinists, okay? So having stated these things, Paul tells us, and we're going to make it. we got five minutes and i got one paragraph left. Paul tells us, um, our subject first, that predestination is for the reason that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Remember that? Read that verse again, uh, 829. 829. Uh, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the likeness of his Son, that he might be the first, firstborn among many brethren. Among many brethren. He is the firstborn among them. Jesus was the first of the resurrection. All who call on him are considered his brethren. We are adopted into God's family and saved, eternally saved, despite ourselves. Okay? That's, that is what the Bible teaches. The duck just makes it simple for you to understand. And I don't mean to yell so much, but I know they can't hear unless I have the voice going back over there. But anyway, this is what the Bible teaches. It teaches that God sent his son into the world. There is a logical order of how things happened in the stream of time, but it was in God's mind from the very beginning. He is going to allow the fall of man, and then he is going to say, I will fix this problem, which is the order that the Bible gives, by the way. The fall happens, and then what does he do? He gives us Genesis chapter 3, with the cursing of him, and he says in Genesis 3.15, anybody? Let's read it. Well, no, 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. It, it may say that, but I'm specifically looking for the words that say um, uh, where he promises the Redeemer. You're, oh, yeah, go ahead. That's right, your seed, but you skipped off the part about the seed, which is what I'm looking for. Okay? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, which Paul uses in the New Testament explaining that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The fall happened, and then he provides the salvation. That's the order that the Bible gives, because God is doing things in the stream of time in a logical manner, because we're in time, and it has to be done logically. You can't put one thing before another and have it make any sense. If he put me before my mother, that wouldn't make very much sense, would it? Right? My mom had to come, and then I was born. Everything happens in a sequence, even though God already knew everything from the very beginning. Life application, and we are done to understand the workings of God as they apply to humans, one must properly understand the nature of God and also the nature of man. R.C. Sproul blew it on the nature of man in that one verse I gave you. He says, you can't resurrect yourself, you're a corpse, and you can't spiritually resurrect yourself. And that's a complete category mistake. Nobody said that I'm going to spiritually reconnect myself to God, yeah. ever. I've never said that, and no sane person would do that that's read the Bible one time. We are disconnected from God, but Jesus can do it, right? Right. And we are given the choice to accept or not accept Jesus. He's completely wrong on this. Calvinism is completely wrong on this, but what, what I said at the beginning is what bears. Pride steps in, and when you say John Calvin is this great thinker, and I was trained in Calvinism, and all of a sudden you will never see another view, but it is, is incorrect. So 
It is wrong, okay? So, um, should we err on either one of these that I just read you, the nature of God or the nature of man, then our thoughts about what God is doing, how he is doing it, and why he is doing it become skewed. When reading the Bible, we must accept the Bible as authoritative and then determine to discover the issues which lead to what the Bible proclaims. When we do this, we will be sound in our theology and free from the bondage of both legalism and scare tactics in our relationship with God and our state before God. Now, when I say scare tactics, I'm specifically speaking about um, the people in the Wesleyan churches, the uh, Methodist and all of those. If the pastor holds to what he was trained in, which he's supposed to do because he agreed to the statement in order to become ordained in that church, he's going to tell you that you are not eternally saved. And a lot of pastors will wield that over them. Okay, here was Charles Spurgeon's, I'm glad I remembered this. Charles Spurgeon was accosted by a lady that said, um, uh, why are you preaching to those people? They're not elect. She was under this Calvinist thing, right? And Spurgeon was probably telling that as well. And he said, well, what I want you to do then is to show me who's not elect. And he gave her a piece of chalk and he says, I want you to go and put a mark on the back of every person in the church that is not elect. And she said, I don't know who they are. And his answer was, neither do I. My job is to preach to people, right? Okay, but if they are already elect and you're holding to Calvinism, you might as well not even preach. There's no point. There's no point. As a matter of fact, it would be better probably if you didn't say anything about Jesus to anybody. That would probably be the best thing because then you're resolving all the problems right there. God is sovereign. He is not going to lose any of his predestined people. He has elected them before the fall of man, right? Right. Or he's elected them after the fall of man, but before he has um, uh, decided to, what was the the thing with the... To uh, to pick. Yeah, to pick them. Okay, so now he decides, and then he picks them, and the rest are gone. You might as well just not say anything, and everybody will be better off. That would be the best view of all. It makes no sense. It takes God out of everything. It takes God completely out of the picture. It is is bad theology. So let's say a prayer, and we are done exactly on time. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you have given your people the right to choose. And I, I, I cannot see any other option when looking at your nature and how you have laid things out in the world, that you have given us a right, one, to reject you, which is evident all the way through the Bible, from the very first pages of it, all the way through Israel's history, all the way through the Gentile church age and the churches which have completely apostatized from you. You have given us free will to reject you. Certainly, if that's the case, then you have given us free will to look to the good, to see the good in you, and to want it. And It is so wonderful when we realize that we have been heading down the wrong path and that we are, we are now regenerated because you have sealed us with your spirit based on our faith. It is by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. You have given it to us as a gift and we have received it. Thank you for that gift, the process of salvation, the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the healing that we pray for, for the people that are suffering with their many troubles and trials. We pray that that will come about. And if not, you've already told us that those things are being worked out for the good end that you have promised. And so we'll praise you for that despite the trials. But we would pray that the trials wouldn't be here and that all of them would be standing up and doing jumping jacks tomorrow. Thine will be done. You are sovereign. We leave it in your capable hands. Lord, thank you for the uh, chance to preach or to speak on this particular issue today. 
And I pray that people will be edified by it and that they will search this out themselves and make their own determinations, freely choosing whether they believe what I've said or not, because that's what you've given us the choice to do. We love you, we praise you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me back this baby up and we are done. I like your scarf, Carly. This is my Bow Wow scarf. It was sent to me from Arlene up in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Last Sunday you had it uh, That's right. I, because I only wore it a couple hours at church, and so I always wear them again Thursday because I'm way too cheap with the I do the laundry in the house. So, um, Okay, I'm sorry, folks online. I'm so sorry that um, I didn't have the thing plugged in earlier. I wasn't thinking, and so if you missed the first couple minutes, I'm sorry, but you got to see a nice blackboard. So anyway, we love you all. I want you to have a wonderful week. Everybody take care, and uh, we'll see you again next uh, Sunday, we hope. Lord bless you. Oh, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Oh, I just, I don't understand how people can hold to that view. I, I, I think from, from my years at Bible College, you know, really long time to finish school. So yeah. I was there for seven years part-time, yep. just year after year, just taking one class and hanging on, I was hanging around campus a lot, yep. library and, and lunches and discussions with people and study groups, I just couldn't do more than one class at a time, Right. but I think people just really like